Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Welcome Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Thirty-three. We. You're the podcast. Yeah. It is Monday, May 16th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. And if I sounds like I got a pep in my step today, I'm going to tell you exactly why in a minute. Here's the rundown of today's show. So we don't talk a ton about the NBA, nor will we. I, I just think that there's other things that you guys and girls are more interested in. But I will have some quick reaction to the two game sevens on Sunday. Phoenix just absolutely laying an egg against Dallas. Boston, how about the Grant Williams game from Boston? The Boston Celtics is advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals. From there, I'm not going to lie, this is why there's a pep in my step. We have an update on Torres versus Redick. J.J. Redick has blocked me simply for me reminding him that the Milwaukee Bucks scored 81 points on Sunday in their Game 7 loss to the Celtics. I'll tell you what happened. Me and J.J. Redick, I thought our friendship was built forever. Unfortunately, it's over. From there, we'll get to the meat of the show. I will actually, get, you know, I'll get into the NBA or the, excuse me, the NFL schedule release because here's the thing, right? I do think there's actually some important takeaways. I spent the weekend really looking at things and I have seven takeaways, seven, eight takeaways that I do think are really, really, really important. And then from there, we will actually end on stay or go college basketball NBA draft decisions. Okay, so here's the deal. This is a big week from the draft perspective in the NBA. The NBA draft combine is this weekend. We have the NBA draft lottery. And by the end of this week, we're going to get some clarification on some of the players that are kind of on the fence. Are they going to stay? Are they going to go? What's going to happen? All that good stuff. I give you about eight, nine players at Kentucky, Arkansas, Kansas, Creighton, uh, all the big players that are still kind of on the fence, Arizona with Dale and Terry, on whether they are going to come back to college basketball or not. And it is actually a very important uh, week because obviously there's a lot of good players that could come back to college basketball, so we will discuss all that. Really quickly, I do just want to hit on the NBA stuff really quick. And again, we don't talk a ton of the NBA, and we had two just, you know, comically bad blowouts so I don't know that we necessarily need to spend all that much time on either of these games I mean obviously look the first one the Phoenix Suns 
There's nothing else to say. Final score in the Western Conference semifinals, the Phoenix Suns, the number one overall seed. They lose by 33 points to the Dallas Mavericks at home, 123 to 90. It was really a lot worse. The Suns scored about 10 points in the final two or three minutes with all the scrubs in to uh, to make it a little bit more respectable at 33 points. I don't really know what there are, what there really is to say. I would say, you know, just two things really stand out to me on this one. First of all, you know, I, I don't claim to be somebody that follows the NBA 365 days a year and transactions and this, that, the other thing. But the Phoenix Suns obviously had the best record in the NBA. And what was surprising to me was the number of people that were adamant that the Phoenix Suns were the best team, at least in the West, if not in these NBA playoffs, coming into the NBA playoffs. I saw every major NBA writer, it seemed like, and I'm not saying every single one, but it seemed like the vast, vast, vast majority. They all liked the Suns to advance out of the West, and many of them liked to win the NBA title. And I'm not claiming that I'm an NBA insider. I'm not Woj. I'm not Shams. I'm not Brian Windhorst. But you, you, I just went go back to last year, and I said, I don't understand this. I understand they have the best record in the league. I understand that they made the NBA Finals, but let's go back to the NBA Finals. They win the first two games, and then they get absolutely destroyed by the Milwaukee Bucks over the final four games. The Milwaukee Bucks are bigger, physical, tougher. They just don't have enough around the rim with the Phoenix Suns. And so I didn't get that, and really, you don't even have to go back to the NBA Finals. Go back even further. If you remember... For all the criticism of the Los Angeles Lakers, for everything that has gone on with the Lakers, never forget, they were up 2-1 to one and leading at halftime of Game 4 when Anthony Davis went down with an injury on Memorial Day weekend last year, Memorial Day weekend last year, and if Anthony Davis doesn't get hurt, the Lakers probably win that series, Phoenix certainly doesn't go to the NBA Finals, and we're not having this conversation. So I was always surprised that everybody was so quick to anoint the Suns, and now we see they lose as Dallas, as the Dallas Mavericks advance to the Western Conference Finals. Obviously, a great moment for Luka Doncic. Again, I, I hate all this, like we have to put him in a certain category and what does it mean? And I saw former NBA players trying to, you know, anoint him this or where does he fit or is he the best player in the league or whatever. I don't know. All I know is that guy was awesome in Game 7. He was really awesome all series, but 35 points, 10 rebounds, 6 for 11 from 3. And I mean, he scored a bunch of points to start the game, buried Phoenix before it even started. Obviously, the big stat that everybody was throwing out, he had 27 points at halftime. The Phoenix Suns had 27 points at halftime. So Bedal's advances, really curious how they will handle the Golden State Warriors. Golden State's going to have home court advantage. Golden State is the veteran team. I really can't see the scenario where Golden State doesn't win that. Lastly, with Phoenix, I would just say this. I feel bad for Chris Paul. Like, I know it's like open season on social media and make fun of Chris Paul and it's game seven and this, that, the other thing. I mean, this guy's 37 years old, gives his heart and soul to this sport. One of the few guys that every single year when he's healthy, when he's available, when he physically can play, he steps on the court and gives it 100%. That's not something you could say about James Harden. That's not something you could say about Kawhi Leonard. I know he was hurt this year, but the bottom line is this is a guy that's taken off more load management than anybody. It's not what you can say about Kyrie Irving. It's certainly not what you can say about Ben Simmons. And so this idea that we have to bury Chris Paul because he had a bad game seven. First of all, the guy has defied all odds. He's five foot 11. He's 37 years old. He's still one of the 10 most impactful players in this league. And what he is, is he is the ultimate leader. He is a guy that elevates every organization that he's ever been with. 
This was a guy that got the Clippers to the verge of the NBA Finals. This was a guy that probably gets to the NBA Finals if he doesn't get hurt with the Houston Rockets in whatever it was. I think it was 2018. Never forget, he went to the Oklahoma City Thunder in the middle of a rebuild and gets them to the playoffs. They've been terrible since. And then gets to Phoenix twice. And so I'm not... Uh, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this game. It's a 33-point margin final victory. Guy is 37 years old, okay? He's playing against kids that are literally young enough to be his son, um, and I think he, he is who he is. And so I think, more of the, I think more of the blame should probably fall on Devin Booker. We want to anoint that guy as the next whatever. 3 of 14 in Game 7, 6 of 17 in Game 6. Zero three-pointers made in the final two games of this series. I'm not trying to bury Devin Booker, but when you're talking about guys that, that, that you know really just did not show up over the final two games of this series, he is the guy that probably deserves more blame than anybody else. But the Phoenix Suns are out. The Dallas Mavericks are in. Congrats to all the Mavericks fans. Hope you didn't feel like I, I missold your team because I want to give them credit. But to me, the real story is obviously the Phoenix Suns just laying an egg. In terms of the first game, I, you know, I, I really don't think there's a ton to it. Um, I have come full circle on Giannis, but obviously, look, if you follow the NBA at all, Giannis is a superstar. I was critical of him. I was the guy that said he wasn't a superstar. I got to take the L on all that. But he needed some help, and it really didn't feel like the Chris Middleton injury was felt until the final two games of this series where he just could not do everything by himself. By the end of game seven on on Sunday in Boston, he was just worn out. I think he had 20 points at halftime, finishes with 25 points, 20 rebounds, nine assists. I still believe he's the best player on the planet, but this was the game where he absolutely needed some help. With that said, we do got to give credit to Boston. They advance. Obviously, Jason Tatum, an emerging star, but the story is Sunday. How about Grant Williams? Former Tennessee Vol, two-time SEC Player of the Year, Grant Williams had literally an NBA career high, 27 points, seven made three-pointers. Congrats to him. He was the best player. Listen, he was the best player on the floor on Sunday. He deserves all the credit. By all accounts, he's just a great kid. I don't know him personally, but we've had Rick Barnes on this show multiple times, the Tennessee head coach. He adores Grant Williams. If you go back to the archives from the summer of 2020 during COVID, I had Rick Barnes on the show. He's told a bunch of really funny Grant Williams stories, so happy for that kid. I don't think this is some indictment on Milwaukee. They had an all-star that did not play in the series. The fact that it went seven games to me says how great Giannis has become. Um, and it was funny, on my Fox Sports Radio show on Saturday night, I picked Boston for the sole reason that really Milwaukee could have easily lost a couple games that they won in this series. Congrats to the Boston Celtics, who advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals. One quick note before we do get to the NFL schedule. We got an update on America's newest great basketball rivalry. In basketball rivalry parlance, there are some great ones. Bird versus Magic, Duke versus Carolina, Kentucky versus Louisville, Lakers Celtics, and Torres versus Reddick. Listen, this is a little self-serving, so I'm not going to spend too much time on this. But when the Milwaukee Bucks scored 81 points on Sunday, this was now the fifth time in nine days 
that a team has failed to break 90 points. And, if, and for those of you who are brand new to the show, where you been? But me and Reddick have been going back and forth on this because during the NCAA tournament, I had the audacity to say during the Houston uh, during the Houston Villanova NCAA tournament game in the Elite Eight, it was ugly. I cannot lie. But I tweeted out something pretty straightforward. I said, I love all the arguments I'm seeing today about the quality of play in college hoop or the product of the or the product or whatever. Trust me, if NBA teams played 40 minutes of defense like Houston and Nova tonight, we'd see a lot of games in the 70s and 80s in that league too. And if you remember, that tweet got all NBA Twitter all sorts of fired up. And so on Thursday night, in game six of the of the Western Conference semifinals, Phoenix versus Dallas, it was a game that J. Oh, 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 and I didn't even mention after I tweeted that JJ Reddick s- tweeted at me. He said, "Tell me you don't watch the NBA without telling me that you don't watch the NBA." He then went on his podcast, called me an inappropriate name. I cannot repeat it here. It starts with an F. It ends with an H E A D head. And in between, there's a UCK. You could do the mental math there. Sorry, parents driving around with your kids in the car. J.J. Reddick said it, not me. So anyway, he called me all sorts of names. And after the Game 6 loss by Phoenix, 113-86, to which J.J. Reddick called, all I did was on social media, I said, Hey, J.J., not sure if you saw. I know you were calling the game, but Phoenix Suns didn't break 90 points. It was the fourth time in less than a week that that happened. And so he responded, I guess you don't know how playoff series works. So I bring it up because on Sunday, when the Milwaukee Bucks scored 81 points, I just thought I'd be a friend and let him know that they didn't break 90. And that when teams play real defense in the NBA, we get a lot of ugly scores just like college basketball when Houston played Villanova and it was an uh, you-know-what show in the NBA, in college basketball. And so I bring it up because after, after the Milwaukee Bucks scored 81 points in a closeout game, season on the line, guess what happens when the season's on the line? Defense ramps up, refs swallow their whistles. That happened in Nova Houston in the Elite Eight. And it happened on Sunday in the Milwaukee Bucks series against the Boston Celtics. Milwaukee scored 81 points, just like I said happens. When NBA teams lock in on defense, that's what happens. So I just thought, as a reminder to my buddy, J.J. Redick, because I'm that kind of guy. See, I'm, what you guys don't understand is I'm a good friend, okay? I'm a good friend. I didn't know if he was watching the game. I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. He's a busy guy. He, like me, has a very successful podcast. I don't know what this guy's up to on a Sunday. I just figured I'd let J.J. Redick know that Milwaukee didn't break 80 points, didn't break 90 points, just like I said happens all the time in the NBA. And he told me, tell me you don't watch the NBA without telling me you don't watch the NBA. He then called me a name on his podcast. So all I tweeted out was I said, if I wasn't a bigger person, I'd mention to J.J. Redick that the Bucks scored 81 points today is the fifth time in nine days an NBA team has failed to break 90. Seems like a lot of games to me, which what what I said, when real defense happens, a lot of games are going to be in the 70s and 80s. 
But since I'm a bigger man, I'm going to stay quiet and not mention it. And he got so mad, I think he commented to me. But unfortunately, before I could see that comment, he blocked me. J.J. Reddick blocked me. Golly gee whiz. Because I really thought me and him had a burgeoning friendship. I really thought we were going places. I thought we were the faces of the future of the NBA. He told me I don't watch the NBA, but apparently I know the NBA better than he does, and I thought we would be good. You know, we're looking for the next MJ and Scotty, the next Shaq and Kobe, the next Shaq and D-Wade, the next LeBron and D-Wade, and I thought me and him were the future. Charles Barkley's not going to be around forever. Kenny Smith and Shaq aren't going to be around forever. We need new faces covering the NBA. I thought me and J.J. Redick were going to be the next faces. I thought we would be a tag team. I thought we would be the, the two best friends that anybody could have. But unfortunately, he apparently got mad that I reminded him of the tweet that he said about me about college basketball versus the NBA. And so I really have nothing to say. I mean, this is really sad, right? It's like, you know, when you go to college with somebody and you think you're best friends and then something happens and they don't return your calls or your high school buddy, you come back for summer and he's not your friend anymore. That's basically what happened here. I thought me and JJ were best friends. I thought we were going to hang out and we were going to do a podcast and we were going to just talk NBA for the rest of our careers. I'm young. He's young. We could be, we could be, like I said, the next Chuck and Kenny. But unfortunately, he blocked me. And unfortunately, I'll say this. Actually, I, okay, I can't even anymore. I, I actually do feel bad. The one thing I will say, a couple, two things stand out to me. One, my wife always says, I like to argue. My wife tells me, you, you, ha- you love to argue. Like, like I, I actually think that I, and I'm just going off on a tangent here. But I actually do believe in some ways I should have been a lawyer because I just love to argue. And I don't just love to argue. I love to win. And so J.J. Redick, you mess with the bull, you get the horns, baby. If it's too hot in the kitchen, do not come in. I'll also say this. One thing I promise you guys and girls about me. One thing I promise you guys and girls about me. I don't block people. And that is the one thing that till death do us part, until I'm done talking about sports, I will not block people. Because to me, I'll say this. The only time I'll ever block anybody, if you threaten me, if you threaten my family, then I'll block you. But other than that, if you just disagree with an opinion, if you do this, if you do that, I just think it's really funny. J.J. Redick, this guy turned all of NBA Twitter on me, and the guy is mad that I just happened to mention that he was dead wrong, that I just happened to mention that I might actually know a lot about the NBA. So shout out to J.J. Redick. Uh, you know, listen. Kind of knew he was, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to put anything out there. But as I said on Twitter, not the first time a UConn Husky is, has worn him down in the postseason. Not sure if you remember the 2004 Final Four. It got ugly there, though, because uh, uh, the Huskies took care of his uh, Duke Blue Devils, and he ended up losing. I don't know what else there is to say, but the guy blocked me. I'll tell you this. You want to get into the ring with Torres, that's fine. But I'll say this, last thing, last thing, and then we'll get to the NBA schedule. We're actually going to take a break. This segment's already gone longer than I was anticipating. What I will say, and this is why this podcast is growing, this is why I so much appreciate your guys and girls' support. When I say something, when I say something, I truly believe it. 
And so I know that at the time it felt like I was anti-NBA or it was a hot take or it was this or that. And I think this is why this podcast is so popular. When I get on the mic, when I go on radio, when I do the podcast, when I go on Twitter and I say something, I've done the research, I've done the homework, and I have the facts to back it up. And so to all the other aspiring NBA broadcasters out there, or NFL or college football, college basketball, I'm just warning you. I keep receipts, I remember, I say what I believe, and I don't take things back. Because I knew I was right on this. I told you a month ago I was right on this. I told you five weeks ago I was right on this. Then a month ago when J.J. Reddick started calling me names, I told you I was right on this. And shame on J.J. Reddick. Because that guy blocked me over nothing. Over a little fun social media disagreement. He turned all of NBA Twitter on me. I didn't block him. And then a month later, I'm right. And he blocks me. So if you want to let J.J. Reddick know how you feel about the Torres versus Reddick rivalry, which is right up there again with Duke Carolina, Celtics Lakers, Magic Bird, um, whoever. LeBron versus KD. Who else did I say? Lakers, Celtics. If you want to let J.J. Reddick know how you feel about Torres versus Reddick, you can tweet him at JJ underscore Reddick. I am, of course, at Aaron underscore Torres. All right, enough of this nonsense. This is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I love winning. I love arguing and I love winning. Drives my wife crazy, but it is who I am. I can't help it. I'm going to take a quick break. Come back. We'll react to that NFL schedule release. I actually do have a lot of thoughts on it. I think it'll be really fun. I, I, I think I'm going to teach you some stuff. I think you're going to learn some stuff that you need to know for your over-under bets, for your season whatever bets. We'll be right back to talk NFL schedule. Somebody say hi to my boy J.J. Reddick for me. I'm going to miss interacting with him. I'm going to miss it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Um, fun first segment. Fun first segment. I don't know what to say. It was a fun first segment. But let's switch gears. And let me say this about kind of the evolution, if you will, of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Is, you know, when this show started, and it still is very much a college sports 
sports show, right? Obviously, in the uh, in the fall, we're talking a ton of football. Late summer into the fall is a ton of football. We talk a lot of college basketball in February and March and with the portal in April and May. But one thing that I've done more and more over time, and you guys and girls have responded to it, is a lot of NFL talk. I mean, I, 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 I watch the NFL. I talk about the NFL on Fox Sports Radio, but I didn't talk a ton about it until about four or five months ago towards the end of the regular season into the playoffs. And you guys and girls have responded to it. And so what I want to do today, what I want to lead with today, it's May. It's a little bit of a slower time of year. And I actually do want to talk about the NFL schedule release. Now, I know it happened on Thursday. A lot of your favorite podcasters or radio hosts talked about it on Friday. But I wanted to take the weekend, talk about the NFL schedule on Monday, because I really wanted time to kind of digest and think about the schedule. Everybody can put out the first take, the the first hot take, whatever, on the schedule on Friday morning, but I wanted to take a few days, think about it, really look things over, and come up with some smart uh, insight into the schedule. Because to me, the schedule is actually more important than a lot of people think, right? Like, I think a lot of people just think, oh, it's the NFL, they're trying to make something out of nothing, trying to get you to think in NFL in May. But to me, I actually think this is a really important part of the NFL's calendar is when we get that schedule and we can start looking at who's playing who when, off buys, what time of year, warm weather versus cold weather, travel, all that kind of stuff. Because at the end of the day, this is going to give us a preview of what is to come once the season actually starts. In a lot of ways, it actually reminds me a lot of when the college football over-unders come out during the, the, the summertime, right? Like, like the over-unders, I've always said, are a good parameter and barometer to judge basically how you feel about your favorite team, right? So just as an example, if you're a huge, uh, I don't know, Penn State fan, and you think, oh my goodness, this is the year. Penn State's winning the Big Ten. We're finally beating Ohio State. We're going to the college football playoff. And then the over-unders come out, and Penn State's like an eight-and-a-half over-under. It means that you probably have to reevaluate your thoughts on your team because Vegas sees them as an eight-and-four, nine-and-three type team. And so I bring it back to the NFL because I do think there are actually things from the NFL schedule that you can take away just by looking at the schedule, who's playing who, when are they playing them, all that kind of stuff. So with that said, I spent the weekend, really dove into some of the schedules, and I came up with nine things that I find to be very interesting and very important about the NFL schedule. Don't want to say it's the best schedule analysis you'll hear anywhere, but it's pretty darn close. Obviously, it goes without saying I'm not going to be breaking down team-by-team schedule. If you are a uh, Carolina Panthers fan or a New York Jets fan and you want to know about your Week 13 matchup with whoever, Probably not the best place to find it, but I do have nine big picture thoughts, and I think some of it for you gamblers, for some of you that are going to either go to Vegas or sign up on your app for your over-under win totals later in the summer, I think you'll get some good information out of this. So nine takeaways from the NFL schedule. Here we go. The first one, I hate to say it, this is kind of a where Aaron was right segment, but the NFL is officially trying to kill the NBA on Christmas Day. And I know I've talked about this a lot, but when you see the schedule, I mean, it is pretty evident that the NFL is just trying to squash the NBA like a bug on Christmas Day. I've actually talked about this a lot over the last probably three, four, five months dating back to this previous Christmas of 2021, but it's been an interesting cycle to watch the NFL, how they've handled this Christmas Day stuff. If you remember going back to 2020 now, so two Christmases ago, The NBA was coming off the bubble. The NBA, of course, has owned Christmas Day forever. The NBA is coming off the bubble, and there's real pushback about starting the season right around Christmas Day, most notably from LeBron James and the Lakers who were coming off the championship. Of course, because Adam Silver has no backbone, there was a back and forth, and they couldn't figure out when they were going to start the season. And in 2020, the NFL just said, you know what? If you guys aren't sure what you're going to do, 
we're just going to throw one game on the schedule. Just, you know, do something a little bit different. Have some fun on Christmas Day. And that game was Saints-Vikings. Alvin Kamara had like 37 touchdowns in that game, if I remember correctly. And the rating just absolutely killed. 20 million viewers tuned into that game, Saints-Vikings, on Christmas Day of 2020. Not even a, like a super marquee matchup, right? And so I bring it up because this year, this past year, 2021, it felt like this was the year that it was like, oh, the NFL is here on, on, on Christmas Day, and they are planting their flag. I talked about it on the show following Christmas uh, in 2021 about five months ago now. And on that show, I said, look, I was on social media during, if you remember, the Packers played the Browns in the first game. And it was kind of the game that Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, really it was the national TV game. Everybody's watching, and Baker Mayfield's just terrible. And that was the game where everyone's like, I'm out on Baker. Can't deal with this guy anymore. Not getting the job done. It's time to move on. Aaron Rodgers wins. The Packers win that game. And I came on the show the next day, and I said, I think the NFL is coming for Christmas Day. Everybody was talking Browns Packers. The ratings reflected it. And I never remembered a Christmas Day where the NBA meant less than 2021. That is a long way to get to the 2022 schedule release where did you see the games that the NFL put on Christmas Day? So first of all, it's not even that the NFL is playing on Christmas Day. It's worth noting, by the way, historically when Christmas Day has been on a Sunday, which it is this year, all of the games have been played on the 24th Christmas Eve. I bring it up because this year there are a lot of games on Christmas Eve, but the NFL has gone kind of like they do on Thanksgiving with three standalone games on Christmas Day 2022, and it's not just standalone games. It is big, marquee brands, okay? Here are the three games that we get on Christmas Day. We get Packers at Dolphins. We get on top of that, we get Broncos at Rams. And then we close Christmas Day with Tampa at Arizona. So it's not just the NFL wading their, their toes into the waters of should we play on Christmas Day. It is, I would argue, three of the biggest brands in the sport. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in the early game. Uh, the defending Super Bowl champ Los Angeles Rams in the middle afternoon game. And then the late game, 8 p.m. Eastern, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks. I, I, I think it's also worth noting, by the way, not only are they three marquee games. My radio partner on Saturday, Jason Martin, brought this up. I thought it was a great point. The NFL not only put three big games, not only three games, three big games, but also if you look at the markets, something else interesting happened. See the markets that are playing on Christmas Day in the NFL? Packers at Dolphins. Green Bay at Miami. You know who else might be playing on Christmas Day? Oh, I don't know. The Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat, two of the three best teams in the NBA's Eastern Conference this year. You know who else might be playing Christmas Day because they play every Christmas Day? The Los Angeles Lakers. Well, who else is playing Christmas Day? The Rams and, of course, the Arizona Cardinals are hosting a game on Christmas Day against Tom Brady and the Bucks. And so I bring it up because I don't know if this is just a huge coincidence, but I don't think it is. This is genius. This is genius from the NFL because essentially what they've done is not only are we putting the biggest brands on air that day, we're going to make people in that city choose what they want to do, right? So you're a Bucks season ticket holder. You're a Bucks fan. You, you're planning on going to that Christmas Day game? All of a sudden, the, the Packers are playing? I might have to sit this one out. I might have to give those Christmas t t Day tickets away. Same late, late in the day. The Phoenix Suns, right? They're obviously a great team. Um, they're going to be great next year. But the Arizona Cardinals only get eight or nine home games a year. You might have to give up those tickets uh, for the, the Phoenix Suns to go to the Cardinals game or stay home to watch the Cardinals, of course, play against Tom Brady. So 
just incredible from the NFL. That was my number one takeaway. They are coming for Christmas Day. They are planting their flag. And outside of the occasional year where Christmas Day might fall on a Tuesday or Wednesday, I am telling you, they are coming for this holiday and they are not giving it back to the NBA. Number two takeaway. The NFL, to its credit, also loaded up the Thursday night schedule, which is now on Amazon Prime. Remember, Amazon Prime is now the only place that you can watch the vast majority of Thursday night NFL games. Now, the opener is on NBC. That's obviously the Bills-Rams. I talked about a little bit on Friday's show. Late in the season, there's some Thursday games that go to kind of the traditional cable networks. But for the vast majority of the season, the only place you can watch Thursday night football is on Amazon Prime. Amazon paid a lot of money to the NFL to get that package. They paid a lot of money for their broadcast team. Remember, Al Michaels is going to Amazon to call these games. He's leaving NBC. Mike Tirico is going to take over there. Also, Kirk Herbstreet, yes, friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, College Game Day, is going to be calling those games with Al Michaels. So Amazon invested a lot, and it's very clear based on how the schedule was released that the NFL is throwing Amazon a bone and saying, you know, we're going to help you get people to your app and get people that maybe haven't subscribed yet to Amazon Prime, which I don't think is a lot of people at this point, but we're going to get people to your app. Because you know what the first game is in that Thursday night package? Oh, I don't know. Chargers, Chiefs, Patrick, uh, Patrick Mahomes versus Justin Herbert. One of the best games we had on Thursday night last year leads the Thursday night coverage for Amazon Prime in week two. We also get Ravens at Bucks. We get Titans at Packers. We get Bills at Patriots amongst many of the other good ones. There's also like like every week there are marquee games, okay? Every week there seems to, not every week, but most of the weeks, the, 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 the NFL, to its credit, figured out a way to make an interesting matchup. So let me give you an example. Early in the season, I believe it's week four, we got Dolphins Bengals. Now that doesn't sound great on paper. But you go ahead and just think about it. It's Tua versus Joe Burrow. They had some instant classics in college football when they played, or at least one, in Tuscaloosa. Now they're going to reunite on Thursday night football. Late in the season, Jags-Jets sounds terrible, except it's Trevor Lawrence versus Zach Wilson, the number one and number two picks in the 2021 NFL Draft. We'll see if either of them has come along. The point I'm trying to make, credit to the NFL. Because the NFL has made this Thursday night package feel important. For those of you who haven't gotten Amazon Prime, you are going to get it. And credit to the NFL for making Thursday night a thing. Number three, takeaway from the NFL schedule release. I talked on last, I think it was Wednesday's show, about the crazy Tom Brady broadcasting deal. And I think when we see those numbers, we all assume like Tom Brady, one, he's about to be 45 years old. Two, when you're getting paid $375 million to broadcast NFL games, uh, you're not going to stick around the NFL for very much longer when you can make $30 million a year, $37 million a year to broadcast rather than to get your brains beat in every single day. I bring it up because when I saw the schedule, there's something that immediately jumps out to me. If this is Tom Brady's last year, then the NFL is going to squeeze every drop out of the Tom Brady sponge because I would argue that the Tampa Bay Bucks have the most interesting schedule in the NFL this year. Week one, they play at Dallas on, on Sunday night football, so the first big Sunday night game of the year. Tom Brady at Jerry World, that is week one. Week three, they host the Packers. Week four, they host the Chiefs. They play the Ravens, as I said, on Thursday night football. They later in the season get the Rams at home, and even late in the year, 
They get the Cleveland Browns when we assume that Deshaun Watson will be, if there's any type of legal, or not legal, but NFL punishment of Deshaun Watson. Well, by the end of the season, he should be playing, and we get Browns versus uh, Bucks. We get Brady versus Deshaun Watson, and then even later in the year, we get Cincinnati against Tampa, Joe Burrow versus Tom Brady. So I just bring it up to say, you look at this schedule, Cowboys week one, Packers, Chiefs, Ravens, Rams, Bengals, even the Browns. If this is Tom Brady's last year, the NFL is like, we are getting every drop out of you. We are giving you as many marquee games as we possibly can. Number four, the opposite of Tampa Bay and the opposite of Tom Brady. Who is the guy that Tom Brady has been linked to through all of time? It's obviously Bill Belichick. And another thing that stood out, you know who has the most primetime games this year? It's tied at the top with the Cowboys' biggest brand in the football, maybe in American professional sports, but certainly in the NFL. And the New England Patriots. And I really do wonder if this is one place where the NFL got it wrong, where they are overvaluing how much America still cares about the Patriots post-Tom Brady. Now, I do think there's... First of all, we're all going to watch the NFL regardless. That, That goes without saying. But then on top of that, I do think there is a segment of the population that will watch the Patriots to see... Bill Belichick, uh, you know, flail in the wind if the team is not good. And then, obviously, of course, if the team is good, they're playing in kind of a weaker division. Um, You know, the AFC East, obviously, the the Buffalo Bills, but you get beyond that. There's questions about Miami. Obviously, the Jets are terrible. So, like, there's always the possibility that the, the Patriots could just legitimately be good. But if you go back to last year, if you remember, they were hot at the middle of the year. By the end of the year, they were kind of a disaster. One in three in their final four games. They have that win where they throw the ball three times against the Buffalo Bills. And then you have the playoff game where they just get destroyed by Buffalo. So the idea that we're giving a team that was a wild card team with no major moves in the offseason, five primetime games, I'm just not sure that this was the move I would make. Now, admittedly, some of them are against good opponents. We got a uh, we got a, a Sunday night game against the Vikings, which should be kind of an interesting game. They play a Monday night game against the Bills. So it's not as though all of the games are absolutely terrible and unwatchable. But the Patriots weren't a very fun watch last year, and I'm kind of surprised that they got five primetime standalone games. It just feels like with all the young talent in this sport, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, not to say that those guys aren't getting some primetime games, but I am a little surprised to see the Patriots get five, 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 five primetime games. Number five, I'll say this. I mentioned a minute ago, you start talking about some of the over-under win totals in the NFL going into the season. Some of them are out. Some of them aren't yet. One team that I'm selling on is the Kansas City Chiefs. I was out on the Chiefs last year, and I know they made the AFC Championship game, but let's be honest. They easily could have lost to the Buffalo Bills. They were not very good down the, they were not very good down the middle, during the middle of the season. Then it's been kind of a weird offseason where they do lose Tyreek Hill, who I think is one of the few receivers who is actually a difference maker. You know, Devontae Adams is great, uh, whoever. Amari Cooper's great. Jamar Chase is great. There is some facsimile of those guys that you can get somewhere else. There is no fastest human in the NFL guy that was a world-class sprinter like Tyreek Hill. So the team wasn't that great last year. They rallied late. Now they lose Tyreek Hill. But have you seen this schedule? It is absolutely absurd, okay? So first of all, it's worth noting, 10 of their first 12 games, 10 of their first 12 games are against teams that made the playoffs last year. That is 
absolutely insane. Okay, now I understand that part of it is they played in a division with three playoff teams. The Chargers and the Raiders both made the playoffs last year, so those are four playoff teams on the schedule right away. But this schedule that the Chiefs have is absurd. Week one, they play Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. Short week, they play the Chargers and Justin, uh, Justin Herbert, which I just told you. They play the Bucks in week four. They play the Bills in mid mid um excuse me, in mid-October. They then immediately fly across country to play the San Francisco 49ers. They play the Titans at home, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And I think you can argue that some of these teams will take a step back. We don't know what's going on with San Francisco at the quarterback position. What's the deal with Trey Lance, the Titans? We know what's kind of gone on there the last few weeks with Ryan Tannehill. But I still look at this schedule. Ten of the first 12 games are against teams that made the playoffs last year. I am selling all of my Kansas City Chiefs stock. I'm going to be in Vegas later this month, uh, really, I guess the first week of June. And if those over-under win totals are up, I am hammering the under on the Kansas City Chiefs. Don't laugh, but you know who I'm actually going to buy the over on? Don't laugh. Don't laugh. I know you're driving around. I know you're at the gym. No laughing. I'm buying the over on the Detroit Lions, okay? So the Detroit Lions, listen, I'm not saying they're going 14-3, and but first of all, they were actually a half-decent team late in the year. They went, their final six games after their bye, they went, they, they, excuse me, they won three of their final six games overall, and after their bye, they went three, five, and one. And three of their five losses were by four points or less, one possession games. So in other words, they easily could have gone five, six, two, and one over their last eight games of the season, the second half of the season, essentially. Easily could have gone six, two, and one. Not saying they did. They went three, five, and one. But once they started winning, they gained confidence. But here is why I like the Lions over under win total. This is absurd, and I have never seen this before. Not only do they play no primetime games, so I'm talking Monday night football, Sunday night football, Thursday night football. They don't play a single game outside of the 1 o'clock Eastern time window, 17 weeks. There's one game late in the season against the Packers that could get flexed. It hasn't been announced yet, the time schedule. But the other 16 games... They are all either 1 o'clock starts or their Thanksgiving Day game is a 12.30 Eastern time start. And so the, the, the Detroit Lions, one, it tells you that the, the schedule makers don't think very much of them. But you know what it tells me? They have zero trips to the West Coast, which is kind of incredible when you think how much NFL teams travel. I saw the Seahawks have like five trips to the East Coast. The Detroit Lions don't play a single game on the West Coast. Their farthest flight is probably like, uh, you know, they play at Carolina. They play, you know, I'm trying to just look at the schedule right here off the top of my head. They play, uh, you know, they play at Dallas. They're, they're, there's a few games in there at New England. But most of the, 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 their road games are very easy, very manageable flights. Beyond that, they have a fourth-place schedule. They play some really bad teams. They play the Giants. They play the Jets. They play the Jaguars. They play the Washington Commanders. They get three of their first four at home. I'm just telling you, that over-under win total is going to be like three and a half, and I'm hammering that over. I think this is a team that could go like five and 12, six and 13, six and 11, whatever. Now, I don't know if their fans want that because that, may, that will make it basically unlikely that they get C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young in next year's draft, but I just bring it up to say those Detroit Lions, baby, very, very interesting team. Kind of in the same vein, certainly in the same division. Another thing that stood out to me, the Green Bay Packers schedule is very interesting. They do have a couple tough marquee games. They play at Tampa Bay. They play at Buffalo. They get the Rams at home. They also have a very manageable schedule because of how the cross-division games are. 
So they their cross-division games are against the NFC East, which is terrible. Washington Commanders stink. New York Giants stink. We'll see on Philly. We'll see on Dallas. And then they have a crossover with the AFC East, which has some terrible teams with certainly the New York Jets. And we'll see on the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins fans, Alabama fans that love two. I'm not saying anything, but there's a lot of questions to be asked there. And so I bring it up because the Packers are really interesting to me for one of two reasons. One, if they underachieve and they go like even like 11 and 6, then it's like Aaron Rodgers, this is kind of on you, man. This schedule was built for you to go like 13 and 4, 14 and 3 at the worst. Remember, there are 17 regular season games now. But on top of all that, I also think it sets up the much more likely position where they do go 13-4, and four, where they do go 14-3, and three, where they are either the number one seed in the NFC like they were last year or at the very least hosting an opening round playoff game, and I just don't think we're going to know very much about them. And so I think this is actually setting up for the exact same thing that we've seen the la- certainly last year where the Packers all year long, oh my goodness, they're doing it without Devontae Adams. Look at how good they are. They're this schedule. They're that schedule, whatever their record is. And then all of a sudden you look up and you say, It's the playoffs, they're at home, and they find a way to struggle, maybe lose a game they're not supposed to. I'm just telling you, that could very well happen. Remember, of course, they lost to the San Francisco 49ers last year in a game where they were absolutely terrible, and a lot of people say it's because of the division, the week's schedule. The division maybe will be a little bit better. I obviously like Detroit, as I just said. Minnesota has a new coaching staff. The offensive coordinator from the Rams came. Jim Harbaugh almost got that job. Uh, But the, the, the Green Bay Packers are just interesting because I could see the scenario where we really don't know much about them, and then all of a sudden you look up, and they're very disappointing. Number eight, I'll say this. The Cleveland Browns schedule is very interesting for one simple reason. They do play early in the season. They play a Thursday night game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh, of course, post Ben Roethlisberger. But outside of that, they don't play again in primetime in a marquee game. This is the Cleveland Browns. They don't play another marquee game until Halloween night, which is about week seven, week eight, and that's the Cincinnati Bengals on Monday night football. And that is interesting to me for a pretty straightforward reason. It is because we don't know what is going on with Deshaun Watson, as I said a minute ago, with the Tampa Bay Bucks stuff. We don't know what's going on with Deshaun Watson. We don't know what his future holds. And so I just bring it up because this could be the scenario to me where the NFL, even though there has been no criminal act, you know, no criminal charges, nothing in the criminal courts for Deshaun Watson, the NFL, I still feel like could come down and hand out some kind of punishment for Deshaun Watson. And so to me, it's pretty interesting that early in the season, they have a lot of one o'clock starts, not a lot of marquee games, because this is a marquee franchise, right? Miles Garrett, Nick Chubb. Obviously, there's a possibility that Baker Mayfield could be back as a backup. And then also on top of that, you have Deshaun Watson coming in as the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, most guaranteed money in the history of the sport. So absolutely fascinating. The fact that they have basically one marquee game, a Thursday night game early in the year until Halloween week tells me that Deshaun Watson could be facing some sort of punishment from the NFL. Finally, number nine, I'll say it. I said it to start this segment. I give the NFL so much credit, man, because like I said, I understand that there is an element of this that is very important. And and like I said, I do think the NFL schedule release is probably more important than we give it credit for, right? It it, it tells us a lot about these teams as we get ready to kind of break down the offseason, we break down the over-under win totals, who could do this, who could do that, who could miss the playoffs, whatever. At the same time, I do give the NFL so much credit, though. They have figured out a way to monetize everything, and I think they're the best-run business that I see in America today. I think I've talked about this before. But look, 
Roger Goodell, you go on social media, you would think that Roger Goodell is just throwing puppies out of car windows at 100 miles an hour, okay? Maybe he does it. I don't know. But the bottom line is, like, like, Roger Goodell can do no right in the public eye. But all this guy does is figure out a way to bring in more and more and more cash for his owners and make the NFL the biggest behemoth that we have, not only in American sports, but again, one of the great companies ever. But think about everything that the NFL does in terms of how they monetize and create interest. I mean, first of all, just the last few weeks, moving the draft to all these different locations. You know, I had family at the draft that just said it was an incredible experience uh, in Vegas. It had never been done before. And next year it's going to be somewhere else. And next year it's going to be this. Next year it's going to be that. They have turned the combine guys running around in shorts into must-watch TV. They have turned, you know, military awareness into a thing. They have turned breast cancer awareness, and I understand they, they give proceeds away and all that stuff, but we're talking about pink gloves and pink jerseys and pink cleats, you know, during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and, and, and they, even though there is a charitable, you know, noble cause behind it, it's also to get people interested in the NFL that might not otherwise be mothers, daughters, grandmothers, whatever. And now I look at this NFL schedule release, I look at the way everybody in my business, myself included, has talked about it, has broken it down, has overanalyzed it. The NFL is the best business going in America that I see right now. I give Roger Goodell so much credit. I know everybody likes to be, he's a move, he's a pinata on social media, but I think he's been absolutely incredible in running this league. Whew. Big first segment of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. How about that, boys and girls? Big first segment, fun first segment. I'm going to come back, so I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I will talk about the NFL, or the NBA, excuse me, the NBA draft combine, not, not really the NBA draft combine coming up. This, no, let me start this over. This is what I'm going to do, and I'm not editing that out, by the way. I'm just going to uh, all over the podcast, okay, which sounded weird and just probably borderline disgusting. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a quick break. Coming up. The NBA Draft Combine is this week. That is important for all of you who love college hoops and for those of you who listen for the college hoop stuff because we have several marquee players that are in the draft process that have yet to decide whether they're going to return to college next year or go pro. It's a big week from that regard. What we're going to do, we're going to come back. I'm going to tell you the biggest stay or go decisions that remain as it pertains to the NFL dra NBA Draft. I'll be right back. All right, everybody, I'm back. Good to be back, good to be back. I uh, do want to switch gears, and I'll say this. Like, this is a weirdly fun, but it's a weird, just weird time of the sports calendar because you think May, it's almost, it's spring, it's almost summer, working on the beach bods, but it's weirdly a, a busy time in sports. Obviously, we have the NBA playoffs going on, NHL playoffs for those of you that are into that sort of stuff. Uh, we also have the portal stuff still going on in college hoops, college football. Where's Jordan Addison going to go? So there's a lot going on in the world of sports right now. But this week coming up, starting today, May 16th, is also a very important week in terms of the NBA draft, but also college basketball for next season. So first of all, the NBA draft lottery 
is on Tuesday night, which means that by the end of the day, Tuesday, we will know the order with which teams will pick. And so on Wednesday's show, I'll probably go through, and I think this team fits Paulo Banquero, and maybe Chet Holmgren will go there, all that good stuff. That'll be on Wednesday's show. But what we also have this week is something called the NBA Draft Combine. And the NBA Draft Combine is where all these guys go that aren't the surefire, can't-miss prospects to try and prove themselves to NBA teams. All 30 NBA teams will be there. Players will be measured. Players will scrimmage. And this is really kind of the event that, listen, the Jabari Smiths, the Paolo Bancaros, the Chet Holmgrens, they're not going to be there, and they're certainly not going to participate. But for that next tier of players, this is where if they want to make a move and they want to get into the NBA draft this year and move up on the draft boards, this is the event that you can have success or ultimately failures as well. And so why it's an important week for college basketball is because the players that ultimately don't have success at this event are usually the ones that end up coming back to college next year, the ones that are on the fence. If you remember this time last year, it was Johnny Juzang that went to this event, didn't play the way that he wanted, decides to come back to college for another year. Hunter Dickinson the same last season. There's been other guys historically, I can't remember everybody, but what I want to do now is I want to talk about the biggest players and the biggest impact players that are still weighing, should I come back to college or should I go pro, the stay or go, stay in college or go pro NBA draft decisions. And I think a lot of them will start to get some clarification this week. Now, to be clear, the deadline to withdraw your name from the NBA draft and return to college isn't for almost another month, June 13th. But like I said, if you have a great week this week, you're probably going to move up mock draft boards. If you have a bad week this week, it is very hard to recover. And by the end of the week, we should start to get clarification on who might come back, who's probably leaning towards staying. But what I want to do now is go through the the biggest NBA draft decisions that remain that could impact college basketball next year stuff at Kansas and Kentucky and Gonzaga, on and on and on. So let's get into it. The biggest NBA draft decisions remaining. First of all, The biggest one by far, I I don't know if it's by far, but I would say the biggest one uh, is one that's probably not on your radar, and that is Shaden Sharp at Kentucky. Now, if you remember, I've talked about Shaden Sharp a lot on this show. I've certainly talked about it a lot on YouTube, but Shaden Sharp was the number one high school player in the class of 2022, reclassified, came to Kentucky this past spring, almost like a high school football player that comes for spring practice. He came this spring and didn't play this year, and the anticipation was that he was going to lead Kentucky next season. Just one problem. He got eligible for the NBA draft, and now he is technically going through the NBA draft process. There isn't anybody on the planet that actually thinks he's going to come back, but for at least right now, he has left his options open. Uh, My old buddy Kyle Tucker, I think he reported about two or three weeks ago that Shaden Sharp is enrolled in spring classes and summer classes, but the fact remains nobody thinks he's going to come back. But I do have him on this list because he is the most important guy because if he comes back, I think you can make a legitimate case that Kentucky is maybe number one in the country coming into next year, if not at worst top three. You have the potential number one pick in the draft in Shaden Sharp. You would have the returning national player of the year in Oscar Shibway. That core surrounded by the pieces that would be around them would be a team that is good enough to win a national championship. I, I think Kentucky is on the fringes of the title conversation, uh, uh, but Shaden Sharp puts them over the top as a legitimate team that could legitimately win it all. 
The problem is there is nobody that thinks he's actually going to come back. He's about a 6'5", 6'6", point guard. Uh, his athleticism is through the roof. I saw a report that he had a 49-inch vertical leap the other day, which would be an NBA Combine record if he makes the same jump at the NBA Combine. But to me, he is the single most important player that has yet to officially say, I'm staying in the NBA draft. If he comes back, Kentucky... I would say at worst top three to five, potentially number one team in the country with Oscar Sheepway back. But by all intents and purposes, I, I don't believe he's coming back. Now, I will say, I will say, I talked to somebody about three, four weeks ago that is in constant communication with John Calipari. I won't say who or how. Who at that point, about three weeks ago, said, I still think it's a possibility. I still don't think the player... And his parents truly believe that he's ready for the NBA, but the reality is he will probably be a top 10 pick this year. And if he's a top 10 pick, it is just hard to imagine him coming back. But I would argue the single most important decision that has yet to be made, Shaden Sharp, point guard at Kentucky. Next up is a really interesting one that I think unless you're a college basketball diehard would probably fly a little bit under your radar. That's a player named Dalen Terry who played at Arizona. For people who, who didn't follow Arizona on a day-to-day -day basis, Arizona was obviously led by the two guys that have officially declared and are leaving, Christian Coloco and Ben Matherin, Ben Matherin, an All-American. What a lot of people probably didn't notice is that Arizona, over the final two, three, four weeks, Dalen Terry was maybe their single best player, if not one of the two or three best. For people who don't know, by the way, big six foot seven guard, uh, really has NBA measurables, has that size, athleticism of an NBA player, and when he took off was late in the season when Arizona starting point guard Kirk Creasa got hurt. In the Pac-12 championship game against UCLA, he had 15.7 rebounds, 7 assists. And in that Sweet 16 loss to Houston, he was essentially the only player that showed up for Arizona. 17 points for, for Arizona. And I do believe he is a guy that while he quote-unquote only averaged 8 points, 5 rebounds, and 4 assists, he's going to end up having a tough decision to make. He is the kind of guy that at this combine this week, he is going to measure well, he's going to test well in terms of vertical leap, in terms of measurables, in terms of length, in terms of athleticism, and then it just comes down to how he handles himself on the court in terms of does he play well enough to get that first round consideration. If I'm an Arizona fan, I'm really nervous right now because I believe that he is the key to the 2022-2023 Arizona Wildcats. I know that right now I have them higher than most people, but the bottom line is if he comes back, Arizona returns four of their top six scorers from last year's team that won the Pac-12 regular season, won the Pac-12 tournament, was a number one seed, and made the Sweet 16 and was really in the top five all year. Four of their top six guys would be back. If he leaves, though, all of a sudden you're talking about probably their best three players last year are now gone, but I do believe if he comes back, he can have that Ben Matherin, Johnny Davis, uh, uh, Keegan Murray type leap in terms of just going from a really good college basketball player to a star and I believe he can be the face of a top 10 team next year and frankly a lottery pick in the 2023 NBA draft the question becomes does he want to stay one more year in college does he want to go pro that remains to be seen and that'll be really interesting now a couple factors that are new in in modern college basketball that really aren't in in, in previous years one, there's obviously NIL money. Arizona, my understanding is, you know, the, the NIL stuff is 
a little bit different out there, but none of those guys are struggling. I know that Dale and Terry just seeing on Instagram and social media, he's got his own you know clothing line and all that stuff. So my guess is he's not going to be rubbing nickels together if he decides to come back to Arizona. But the question just becomes, does he want to come back? Does he want to try to be a star or does he want to try to cash in now? That's up to him. I have no idea. But like I said, if I was an Arizona fan, I'd be a little worried because I do think he is the kind of guy that can go to this event ball out, realize that he's probably going to go higher than he expected and decide to return. If you're looking for one silver lining, Arizona, before he declared, Arizona had a few spring workouts. He was there with the 2023 team. Got to take that as a little bit of a good sign. Third guy's another guy, a little bit like Shaden Sharp. I just don't expect him to come back, but Jalen Williams from, from Arkansas. Obviously, if you watched Arkansas last year, the last two years really, it was hard to miss Jalen Williams. He was the heart and soul of this year's Elite Eight team, really part of the heart and soul of last year's Elite Eight team in 2021 during that NCAA tournament that was played in a bubble in Indianapolis. 10 points per game, 10, 10 rebounds per game, a couple blocks, and he's really just one of these do-everything guys. He defends, he rebounds, he hustles. Some would say he takes too many charges, whatever. He is a difference maker on both ends of the court, and he's a guy that I think could step into the NBA and have pretty much immediate success because he's never needed the ball in his hands to have success. The problem with Jalen Williams is, and why I say I think he's going to go, one, he really started to move up NBA draft boards late in the season, but two, if you just look at Arkansas, it's a simple math problem, right? Simple math equation, as my buddy J.J. Redick would say. Uh, <laughs> simple math equation is, last week they had a player leave via the portal, Jackson Robinson. They signed a player via the portal in Ricky Council. They are at their 13 scholarship limit. Now, I guess in theory, if Jalen Williams wants to come back, you figure out to make a way for him. But at the same time, uh, Arkansas is at their scholarship limit. They've signed four players out of the portal this offseason. The Mitchell Twins from Rhode Island, uh, Trevon Brazil from Missouri, and of course Jalen Graham, an all-Pac-12 forward from Arizona State. I'm not saying he's not coming back, but you start to wonder, can his role? will his role be any bigger? Will his stats be any better if he decides to come back on a loaded team? He might just decide that it is time for him to go to the next level. And when you look at the scholarship numbers, I tend to think that that's probably the case. Now, in terms of college basketball next year, I said Shaden Sharp's probably the biggest X factor. The only other one that's really in consideration, I would say, is Drew Timmy at Gonzaga. Gonzaga, Gonzaga actually has two players, Drew Timmy and Julian Strother, who have declared for the NBA draft but are retaining their college eligibility. Let's start with Drew Timmy because he's a fascinating one. We all know him. We all watch Gonzaga. We've all seen him in the last two years. He was dominant not only this past season but a big part of that team that made the national championship game in 2021 against Baylor. Um, and it's really interesting because he's another one that in this new age of college basketball, he's got a real tough decision to make. He is a guy that, from my understanding, is making real NIL money um, in this new NIL world. He's one of the few guys that is probably doing it on the up and up. My understanding is he is the face of a casino out there in Spokane. He's got his own clothing line. I don't know all the particulars, but my understanding is he's making very good money. And if he goes pro... You look at his skill set. He's basically a within 10 feet of the basket kind of guy. He doesn't really shoot threes. He's not an elite athlete defensively. And I don't know, and this sounds crazy because he's been an All American two straight years. I don't know if he gets drafted if he decides to go pro. So I suspect that he'll come back, but you just never know. The other guy with Gonzaga that's worth noting, Julian Strother, who's a big guard. I was actually probably at his best game. He was great against Duke when they played on Black Friday this past season. 
uh, but he averaged 11 points. He averaged five rebounds and about 36% shooting from three. He's a guy that I actually think is probably a little bit more of an NBA player, but feels like a year away. But if you're Gonzaga and you got to keep one or the other, you want to keep Drew Timmy because he's the proven college player. My guess is that both of those guys come back. But I'll also say this. If Drew Timmy decides to stay in the draft, all of a sudden this Gonzaga team, it's one of the least impressive Gonzaga teams we've had in a while. We'll see what happens with them. Staying with the uh, stay or go decisions. Let's keep this thing rolling, baby. Um, Michigan, I think, is a really interesting one. So Michigan got some good news at the deadline. Hunter Dickinson, their star, the guy that dominated Tennessee fans. I'm sorry to say it, but he absolutely dominated you guys in the NCAA tournament. What was it, 27 points, 31 points, something like that. He announces that he's coming back. Uh, 27 points, 11 boards against Tennessee in the NCAA tournament. 15 and 15 in a Sweet 16 loss to Villanova. Well, he decides that he's coming back, so that's good news. That's an NIL thing. He's making good money in college. But Michigan has two players that are very much on the fence and very much, I think, dictate whether Michigan will have success or failure not next season. Beyond Hunter Dickinson, they have a freshman named Caleb Houston who averaged 10 points on about 36% three-point shooting. He came into the season as a guy that everybody projected as as a one-and-done, one of the highest-rated recruits in the high school class of 2021. While the numbers look good, he largely underachieved this season. Now, what's interesting about him, he was one of only two players to get invited to this week's combine and decline the request to come to the combine. What that says to a lot of people, I saw Jonathan Gavoni share this from his Twitter account, ESPN. I don't want to take credit for what he put out. But Jonathan Gavoni said, this is usually a pretty good sign that this guy, even though maybe he's not as high on my big board or my draft board, that he has a guarantee that if you stay in the draft, we will pick you wherever. That some team has told him privately, we're going to take you. And again, it kind of goes to that Dale and Terry thing of, does somebody draft him a year early, a year ahead of schedule saying, if this guy goes back to college, he could be a lottery pick. Let's get him now in the late 20s, early 30s, something like that overpay for him now because we think a year from now he could be one of the 10 best players in the draft so that's something interesting to keep an eye on and then Musa Diabite the uh, another big guy for Michigan 9.6 rebounds a block and a half a little over a block per game this past season a little under a block but whatever you get the point 10 points nine points six rebounds he's another guy that's testing now he's one there's no buzz I don't think there's really much merit to his draft stock but the flip side is if he comes back, he's going to be playing with Hunter Dickinson again. So it remains to be seen. Musa Diabite, Caleb Houston, and they make Michigan really interesting because with them, with them, Michigan, I think is a top 10 to 12 team in the country. Without them, all of a sudden you look around, Michigan, remember they lost their second leading scorer, Eli Brooks. They lost their third leading scorer, Devontae Jones, to graduation. They had a key player named uh, Frankie Collins transfer. There's really not that much there around Hunter Dickinson if, uh, if these guys don't come back. So this will be very interesting to follow. Let's keep it going, uh, and let's stay with the state of Michigan because Michigan State actually has an, an interesting one too and a kid named Max Christie. Big guard, about six foot seven, uh, and he's a guy that if you just look at the raw numbers, numbers don't really stand out to you. He's about 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, averaged a little under 10 points per game this year, 32% three-point shooting. But he was a really, really highly touted player coming out of high school, and he's another guy a lot like Dalen Terry, a lot like some of these other guys that I've mentioned, that if he comes back for another year, 
I think he could really break out and become an absolute star. I think when Tom Izzo recruited him, the anticipation was he's going to be a two-year college player. If this guy comes back, he could be the kind of guy that averages 18 points per game. All of a sudden, you're looking up. Michigan State's in an Elite Eight, and you're like, oh my goodness, this guy is a stud, and he's going to be a lottery pick again, like Johnny Davis, like Keegan Murray, like Jaden Ivey, like Benedict Matherin from Arizona this year. The question is, does he want to come back? And we don't know. He is obviously, this week will be a big week for him, but he is a huge stay-or-go decision. If he leaves, I'll tell you this, Michigan State once again does not look very impressive. This after losing early in the NCAA tournament this year to, to Duke. Last year they lost early in the NCAA tournament in the play-in to UCLA. Not saying Tom Izzo is on the hot seat or anything, but, but Michigan State fans I think are getting a little frustrated. And if you look at this roster, there really isn't all that much to love about this group going into next year if Max Christie doesn't come back. Let's go to the defending national champs. How about those Kansas Jayhawks? So we know the deal with Kansas. Uh, they're, they're probably their two most marquee players from the title run this year. Ochai Abaji and David McCormick, they're both going pro. They're staying in the draft. Ochai Abaji almost left last year. David McCormick, fourth-year player, graduated with his degree. I believe David McCormick actually got his master's this year, so shout-out to him if he got his master's in four years. Um, but those guys are gone. The two guys that are on the fence, the second and third leading scorers, Christian Brown and Jalen Wilson, Christian Brown, um, 14 points per game, 39% three-point shooter, really just came along really, really, really well late in the season. Um, and, and he's the one that I think you can argue if he goes pro, he will find his name called in the first round. Where exactly? I don't know. What pick? I don't know. But if he goes, I do think he is probably going to be a first-rounder. But then the flip side is kind of what Ochai Abaji went through last year. If he comes back... He could be a first-team All-American and maybe go in the top 12 or 15 in the lottery range somewhere. Jalen Wilson's the other guy that's uncertain with the uh, Kansas Jayhawks, 11.7.5 rebounds per game. And really with Kansas, it's pretty straightforward, right? If these two guys come back, we are talking about a preseason top five team. We're talking about three of the five starters back, plus three or four McDonald's All-Americans. A really, really, really good team that, oh, by the way, could get better. Remember, Tyrese Hunter from Iowa State, uh, Kevin McCuller from Texas Tech are both considering Kansas should they decide to come back. So that remains to be seen what is going on. Uh, but those two guys are really important pieces. We will see if they decide to come back. A couple more we'll get out of here. First of all, Baylor Shireman talked a lot about him, was played at South Dakota State last year. He was the guy that, you know, I, I say Tyrese Hunter is the the player that launched a thousand hot takes on Twitter. Baylor Shireman, just the same. Averaged 16 points, eight rebounds, 47% three-point shooting. A lot of schools were after him. He committed to Creighton. But even after he committed to Creighton, he's still testing these NBA draft waters. And if he decides to stay in the draft, I don't want to say that Creighton's bad. They would still be the favorite in the Big East in my mind. But they also, there'd be some questions about do they have that fifth guy? Do they have that X-Factor guy? If he comes back, they're probably in the top five, so that remains to be seen. Um, I mentioned Kevin McCuller, who's testing the waters from Texas Tech. If he comes back, it will be between Kansas and Gonzaga. And finally, let me say this. Finally, let me say this. There are two other guys that are kind of a weird. I'm going to combine them because they're very interesting. And I talked about them on Friday's show when I went through the best players still in the portal. But Matt Mayer from... Baylor and Patrick Baldwin from from Milwaukee 
both guys that are testing the draft. Matt Mayer really wants to stay in. It seems very obvious with that. Uh, Patrick Baldwin, I think, wants to stay in too. But Patrick Baldwin's kind of one of these guys that, again, he's another one. If he comes back, if he's healthy, if he lives up to expectations, then we're talking about a potential top five pick next year. Why it's interesting, in my opinion, is for this reason. Patrick, both these guys, Patrick Baldwin and Matt Mayer, the reason I'm combining them here is because UNC, if they come back, UNC would be the favorite to land either one of them, I believe, not both. UNC only has one scholarship, but would be, would be the favorite to land one. And so I believe that these guys are important because there is one missing piece at UNC where Brady Manick is gone, they need that stretch four guy to help out Armando Baycott, and either of these guys would be the best guy available. It seems to me that Carolina is waiting on both these guys, that all their eggs are in one of these guys' baskets, but to me, they are the two players that right now in the portal along with Kevin McCullough are most interesting because if they come back, uh, these two specifically I think would be the missing piece at North Carolina. And it'd be really fun to just kind of see what happens at North Carolina. All right. Woo! What an episode. NFL, NBA draft, and my boy J.J. Redick. What a show. That's it. I think it's time for me to get out of here. I want to thank you guys and girls for listening to today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And I must say, I don't want to call this one of the best ones ever. Kind of think this one was one of the best ones ever. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure that you are subscribed. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the show. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Make sure you're following the YouTube page. And I say it all the time. But, uh, one, follow the team-specific accounts, Torres on UK, Torres on Arkansas, Torres on UConn, Torres on the Vols. Also, though, Make sure you send your questions, Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. We did a mailbag on Wednesday's show last week. I think we might keep doing that. that. I thought that worked out really well. You guys and girls seem to enjoy it. So with that said, uh, make sure you send your questions, Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. As I told you last week, as long as the question, as long as the answer to the question doesn't end with me getting a divorce or arrested, I will answer it. So if you want life advice, if you want Vegas advice, I'm going in a couple weeks. If you want basketball stuff, football stuff, uh, you want college baseball, your boy Torres, it's, it's getting to be Torres time for college baseball. Make sure to hit me up. But I'm going to get out of here. It's enough. It's time. I won the war with J.J. Redick. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to J.J. Redick. I'm going to miss you, you F-head. I'll be back later this week, people. Have a great Monday. Love ya. Aaron Torres Pod. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.